y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, Karen Grigsby Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team, and Eric Daggins, NPR TV critic. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to all of you listening and to both of my guests. Eric Deggins, TV critic for NPR, and Karen Grigsby-Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team, covering race, ethnicity, and culture. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. I can now say that I've made it because Aunt Betty said my name. She said your name, yeah. (laughs) We're also joined by Katy Perry and her song, Dark Horse. You know this song, right? Yeah. It's uh, a pretty good song. I, know the I don't know if it's yes. worth $3 million, but... Well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am playing Katy Perry in the song Dark Horse because this week she was ordered to pay out $2.78 million for copyright infringement. A jury has ruled that this song sounds too much like a 2009 Christian rap song called Joyful Noise. I love Karen's head bop right now. It. <laughs> it's so skeptical. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. I don't know if this I don't I wouldn't think that that's the same song. It doesn't sound anything like the first song. A little bit of a dun 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 that's similar. Like standard rap whatever. Well, this is what Katy Perry's team said. They said that these Christian rappers are trying to own the basic building blocks of music, the alphabet of music that should be available to everyone. They were like, no, this is I, just I common think, stuff. I think the case against Blurred Lines was a much clearer. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. yes. This, yeah. this, I, I'm not hearing this. Three million dollars could be worse for Katy Perry. I still like you, Katy. I still like that song, Dark Horse. <laughs> That's pretty much a rounding error on her wardrobe budget. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that quirky news story out of our system. We're going to talk about the news news now. We're going to start the show as we always do, asking each of our guests and myself, too, to describe our week of news in only three words. Karen, you're going to go first through the magic of pre-production. I kind of know that you're going to talk about race and Trump. And it's particularly salient right now because we're ending this week seeing one of the few black GOP members in Congress, Will Hurd from South Texas, say that he is not going to run for re-election. He just threw up his hands and said, I'm yeah. done with and, you people. And lots of folks are saying it's because of Trump and race. So with that, what are your three words on Trump and race? Uh, they are charm, city, clapback. Charm City being Baltimore. Charm City being Baltimore. Yes. And so uh, Trump, he's angry with the representative uh, from Baltimore, Elijah Elijah Cummings, Cummings, who also heads the House Oversight Committee. Mm -hmm. And the Oversight Committee has been looking into several Trumpian things. And so he basically tweeted... Cummings should mind his own business, go look at Baltimore, which is horrible and rat-infested, yeah. and no human being would want to live there, Yeah, uh, with the predictable result that a lot of Balamarians were very <laughs> offended at that. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like, like, we're human beings, we live here, yeah. what's wrong with you? He mm-hmm. tweeted those things, and he doubled down in comments after that, Yes, and it's just been really interesting to watch the way the city has responded, because they didn't just let this wash off their back. Um, the Baltimore, As Baltimoreans are yeah. want to do. They are yeah. fiercely 
defensive yeah. of their city. They're proud of it. Yeah. They do say it has some problems, but it didn't merit what the president did. And the editorial board of the Baltimore Sun, which mm-hmm. is one of the oldest papers in the nation, yeah. did an editorial that was just scathing they said in better its response to, to Trump. Yeah. They basically the sh- called the sh- him a rat. The yeah. short, <laughs> the, its last line was, better to have some vermin living in your neighborhood than be one. So yeah. then... My question coming out of Baltimore's clapback, mm-hmm. coming out of Will Hurd's retirement, coming out of this lingering insistence of Trump to talk about race in a really combative manner, what is the best response to it going forward for consumers of news, for voters, for politicians in either party? Like, this is going to keep happening, it seems. Well, I think with the Sun and with the Baltimore people, they sort of invoked the Popeye principle, you know? What is the Popeye principle? All I can stands and I can't stands no more. And so they spoke back. Yeah. That's not going to happen every day. You can't maintain that level of outrage every day. It's tiring. But it is worth keeping an eye on it. I am most troubled about the way in which Trump makes our conversation on race really, really basic because you end up having these conversations for a week or two at a time where the conversation on race is that was racist or that wasn't racist. And you're not actually having deep conversations on things like reparations or segregation or or how, you know, money and various systems inform these things because like now all of the energy about our conversation on race is just don't say that. That's really mean. You know? I, I I don't I don't agree. I yeah. don't agree. Um, that's not those aren't the kind of conversations that I've been having. You know, particularly in social media, and you know, the Kamala Harris moment against Biden inspired a lot of talk about busing. Same thing with Trump saying these things about Baltimore. There's been all of this discussion about why that stereotype exists, why it's not fair, uh, what Baltimore really is as a city. Uh, it's a jumping off point. And, and sure, you know, on, in cable newsland, they're focused just on whether or not it's racist or not. But, you know, we're now talking about reparations during candidate debates. We're now. But that's not because of Trump. That's because of. Uh, I mean, you know, Trump, you know, Trump is putting race on the table in a, yes. in a way that is that, that is inspiring a lot yeah. of different discussions and and discussions that we kind of need to have as a country. And so it's it's unfortunate that it's happening the way it's happening, but it's needed to happen for a long time. So it's happening. Yeah. Um, I have three words. They are. Talk about coal. Oh, fossil fuel. Well, Why? there's a really interesting coal, coal story in the news this week. Oh. Uh, so. Coal miners in Harlan County, Kentucky, they've been camped out in front of train tracks this week, blocking a train full of coal from moving. Uh, They are protesting their former employer, Black Jewel. It's one of the country's largest coal companies. They declared bankruptcy earlier this summer. But like before they totally shut down, the last checks they sent to workers bounced. And so these workers were like, out of luck. And it's actually part of this larger trend. Um, According to Axios, since 2017, at least eight major coal companies have declared bankruptcy. Right. And no one is talking about it. Yeah. What is that about? It's sad that this is happening for people in Harlan County because Harlan was the site of a particularly contentious union fight with the coal owners in the 70s. And a oh, famous really? documentary called Harlan County USA, USA. was done yeah. uh, in the 70s. It received all kinds of awards. But you could see the working conditions, the everything yeah. else, and how people were just trying to hang on to say, 
we're not disposable, we're not cogs, our family needs to earn a living, and you need to do well by us, do better by us than you have been. And market forces are moving in different directions. Yeah. Like yeah. Even some of these big companies that used to love coal energy, they're just moving away from it for other alternatives. And like, no matter what you really do, it's hard to change those trend lines. You know, we've seen the Trump White House uh, cut some restrictions on what coal-powered plants can do. And right, I was right. thinking it would beef up the industry, but not enough to prevent these big shifts, you know? Well, I grew up in uh, a steel town, Gary, uh-huh. Indiana, as the bottom was falling out of the steel industry. Mm-hmm. And there's not much you can do when the world's markets decide they're going to get that material some other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I saw this happen in my own hometown where steel workers were trying to get jobs at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You, there was a two-year waiting list to get jobs at fast food joints because yeah. there was this flood of workers who'd been laid off who were desperate for employment. And at some point, yeah. you know, that's what happens. Yeah. I just, it is really weird to me as someone who covered all of the last campaign cycle when it was coal, 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 and now radio silence. I I would be amazed if once we don't either get down to very few contenders for the Democratic primary or once we're in the general that this isn't an issue. I'd be amazed if it wasn't an issue. But right now we're at a point where candidates or Democratic candidates are trying to get uh, Democratic voters to fall in love with them. They're just and, trying to get seen at they're, this point. They're trying, they're, they're trying to pop enough so that they can make the next debate. And in fact, the debates were structured to play up the differences between the candidates. And I have a feeling that just about every Democratic candidate is going to agree that Donald Trump let down the minors. And that may be one reason why it didn't come up during the debates. Uh, well, in any case, hat tip to my friend and former NPR colleague, Howard Burkus, he uh, sent me a message online this week and said, hey, you got to talk about this bananas coal story on your show this week. Eric, you have three words? I do. What are they? Streaming wars loom. Uh-oh. So I'm in town for the TV Critics Press Tour. This mm-hmm. is this mega event that happens twice a year where everybody who's anybody in the TV industry does a series of press conferences in front of journalists to show us what they've been up to for the next six months. Is that fun? Um, it can be fun. <laughs> For the first also, 30 shows. It's also an endurance test, yeah. uh, believe me. Yeah. But the big deal now is mm-hmm. that there are so many streaming services that are going to be coming at folks over the next six months List or so. them. Okay, so we've got Apple TV+. Plus. We mm-hmm. don't have a firm date on when that's going to happen. Okay. Uh, but Apple has spent something like $2 billion developing new content wow. for it. Disney Plus mm-hmm. comes in November. Mm-hmm. Warner Media is creating a streaming site. What's that, on that? That will unite TNT, TBS, CNN. Uh, it's it's all the stuff that AT&T bought. Gotcha. HBO, Cinemax, so all these things. So basically what you're telling us is that even if we cut the cable, we're still going to be paying you're still gonna, $200 you, a month. Of course, you're still going to be paying. So, okay. so HBO Max debuts. I Sometime in the spring, Go Plus or whatever it is, you, you can have more? that. You yeah. can retain that, but if you want all the extra stuff, what? you have you'll have to buy. This HBO is too Max. much. Wait, wait, I'm not done yet. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and so now Comcast and NBC is going to have a service that they have not named yet. Okay, that will start in April of 2020. Uh, that is where The Office will live. Oh, Friends will live on HBO Max. It will go away from Netflix. Friends uh, is going to Friends an is HBO going to streaming HBO platform? Max. I am confused. Uh, HBO Max will all. also have <laughs> Doctor Who. 
new okay. new new episodes of Doctor Who courtesy of BBC America. So this time next year, we are you think you're drowning in TV? You crazy. will be deluged with so it. So then what does that mean for someone who loves to watch streaming TV? Like is a, is this new stuff going to be good? What I think we're going to have uh-huh. is a whole lot of okay TV. <laughs> I've talked about this before. That doesn't like, sound golden age at people, all. Yeah. People, people, yeah. people come to me and they're like, oh, there's going to be a ton of crappy TV. No, not a ton of bad TV. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a ton of okay TV. I have a question that might be obvious and stupid, but what does that mean for the cable industry? Good question. Well, what it means, I think, is that they're going to have even more cord cutting and they're going to have to figure out a way to uh, hype up the streaming options that they have. Mm-hmm. Because the, the one thing that people don't realize is that with a, uh, with a cable subscription, you often get access to streaming sites. Yeah, like, like I say, have HBO ABC. and I get HBO Go. You get, you, yeah. you get HBO Go. Or, you know, uh, if you have uh, cable, sometimes you have a free access to ABC's streaming site. Or mm-hmm. you have free access yeah. to Lifetimes, yeah. you know, and you, and you have to pay otherwise. So uh, they'll have to hype that up more. Well, I will probably not be paying any more money <laughs> for more streaming. I got my little two or three right now. That's going to be it. It's will you expensive. buy more? It's expensive. I don't know. It depends on what's on offer and mm-hmm. compared to what we have. You know, I live with somebody who doesn't like change. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> now, Sam, I, I know you said what you said, but the minute somebody comes out with a TV show that you want to see... You're going to pay for it. You know you are. Well, <laughs> time was don't even play. For time individually play. and then yeah. realize he's spending so much money he might as the, well stream. The, the minute exactly. the Bachelor the Bachelor and Bachelorette rerun if there shift. Was a, listen, if there was a like behind the scenes Bachelor Bachelorette TV show that, I could, that I'd have to pay streaming to watch, you bet your bottom dollar. All right. I would oh, pay for it. All right, Apple, you, it you heard what it takes to get Sam's dollar. Queer Eye and some other all stuff. All of that. I'll Count bet me you. in. Count me in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the interest rate. This week, the Fed lowered it. Usually, the Fed drops the interest rate when the economy is in recession to boost the economy. This time, the Fed lowered the rate, even though the economy is booming. We'll tell you why and whether you should worry. All right, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchise network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings, year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. Support also comes from Netflix, presenting the highly anticipated third season of Dear White People. This season, the characters will follow their hearts and passions, shed layers of identity, and take on the issues that plague them in radical new ways. If last season was about uncovering the hidden truths that hold us back, this season is about shedding the beliefs that hold us back from revolution. Graded A by Entertainment Weekly, Volume 3 of the critically acclaimed series Dear White People is now streaming only on Netflix. I'm Shankar Vedantam, This week on Hidden Brain, we kick off our annual summer series, You 2.0. 
ideas and advice about how you can respond to life's chaos. Let's do a just check to my inbox. Just check, just check, just check to my phone real quick. With wisdom. Listen to Hidden Brain from NPR every week. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined at NPR West in studio with two guests, NPR TV critic Eric Deggins and NPR correspondent Karen Grigsby-Bates of our Code Switch team covering race, ethnicity, and culture. Thank you both for being here. Happy to be here. You My both pleasure. dressed up wearing blazers in studio. I'm so... It's because it's cold in here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take it too seriously. <laughs> I'm headed off to a hotel ballroom where it's always cold. So. Yeah. So um, after weeks of hand-wringing from inside and outside of the money industry, the Federal Reserve announced an interest rate cut of 0.25%. It's the first time the Fed has dropped the interest rate in a decade. Uh, And usually, as these things go, the Fed doesn't lower the interest rate until they really think the economy needs a boost when it's in recession. Uh, But our economy right now, as you both know, is not in recession. This has some folks scratching their heads. So, yeah, people are worried about this. What does it mean, et cetera? I don't know what it means. So I called up someone smart who could tell me all about it. Uh, Her name is Stacey Vanek-Smith. She's one of the co-hosts of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator. I actually talked to her on interest rate drop day, and she explained it all to me. Stacey, we are talking to you in this week that the Fed has made really big news, cutting yes. interest rates on a scale of like zero to Super Bowl. How big is this for an economics reporter? <laughs> you know, it, it's like a it's like a playoffs game, I would say. Okay. I mean, Super okay. Bowl's a high bar. Um, yes. We'll say, yeah, we'll say it's like a playoffs game for sure. Okay, good, good, good. Speaking of games, explain this game for me. Like, whose rates, how, when, for how long? Like, what exactly is that? That is a very good question. So the Federal Reserve is cutting interest rates. So that means that the interest rates on on some loans that people take out will go down. It lowered it a quarter percentage point to a range because it's like different kinds of loans have different interest rates. So the range is now two to two and a quarter percent. Um, And... And essentially, that is just taking back the interest rate hike that the Fed did back in December. And when the Fed raises interest rates, it's usually a sign that it thinks the economy is sort of strong enough to withstand higher interest rates. Um, And so but the cut is sort of this preemptive strike against worries that the economy is going to potentially go south. Gotcha. And so how will the average American feel this Fed interest rate cut in their pocketbooks? Well, loans uh, are likely to get a little cheaper. So if you're taking out a big loan, like a home loan or a student loan, it's likely the interest rate on that loan will be cheaper. And part of this is why the Fed lowers interest rates when it's trying to juice the economy a little bit, because, you know, people tend to borrow more when interest rates are lower because it makes the loan a little cheaper. Your payments are lower. People get a little more, you know, fast and loose. And so do businesses. And that tends to get people spending more money and kind of more money circulating through the economy. Gotcha. Gotcha. So my biggest question is, why do the Fed, or not the Feds, why does the Fed want to lower the rate? Like, are there any indicators that are setting off alarm bells for them? Because so many of the big top line indicators that I see, like the unemployment rate, yes, are great. Well, this is why this move is so controversial. I mean, yes, you're totally right. The unemployment rate is at almost a 50-year low. The stock wow. market is really high. I mean, you know, this is like a 
good time in the economy. And yet the Fed is taking action that one would expect it to take if things were not doing well. And the reason for this is it's a couple of things. One, that growth in other countries has been slowing down in Europe and China. And the other thing is, of course, the trade war. There's like everybody's Mm. waiting for the fallout of these tariffs that we've put in place against China. And and that's part of the reason why people suspect that that the economy might go south. Gotcha. I've also read that the Fed might be worried about the rate of inflation. What's that about? So what happens is when the Fed lowers interest rates, it gets more money kind of circulating around the economy. Uh, People Uh are spending more. People are borrowing more. There's just kind of more money around. And at a time like right now, when the unemployment rate is really, really low, so you've got businesses competing for workers because there aren't very many people who are unemployed and looking for jobs. So the way businesses compete for workers in certain cases is to offer them higher salaries. Uh And so part of what happens there is sometimes businesses will raise the prices of the stuff they sell to make up for the higher salaries they're offering. And then Mm -hmm. workers will demand higher salaries in order to pay for stuff that is getting more expensive. And voila, inflation. Inflation is just a fancy way of saying prices go up. And so there is a big worry that if the Fed sort of juices the economy too much, gets too much money pumping through, that like it ends up pushing prices up. And suddenly the value of our dollar starts to go down. Things get more expensive. And that can be a really destructive thing. Economists are always really scared of inflation. Gotcha. So then the Fed has done this. They're trying to get ahead of a potential drop off in the economy. They're getting ready for whatever might happen. How should everyday Americans get ready for this? You know, I read this news about the interest rate dropping and I said to myself, well, what should I be doing to get ready for dark days ahead? I don't know. You know, it's a really hard thing to prepare for. Um, You know, should you yank all of your money out of the market? Like, I think every investment advisor would say no. You just kind of leave it in and weather the storm. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you have faith in the U.S. economy or you don't, you know, and it's sort of a long term (laughs) thing if you're investing money. Right. Um, So I think you you believe me or you don't. Yeah. You know, so you just kind of leave your money in there. I mean, you know, most of my money in the stock markets in the form of a, you know, retirement fund, a 403B. And I mean, I'm not going to move it around or anything, I don't think. Um, You know, some people are buying gold or investing in cryptocurrencies, of course, getting very hot is like sort of a safe place outside of the economy. But You know, and and also, you know, I feel like we never know what these things are going to look like, like the housing crisis. Who could have known how tangled mortgage loans were with like the whole rest of the economy? There was just no way to know what's going to go down sometimes. So, you know, I think you just try to save some money. Yeah. And try to stay informed by listening to a daily podcast all about the economy called (laughs) The Indicator. Highly recommend. That's a very good course of action. Very solid course of action. Stacey Vanek-Smith, co-host of NPR's The Indicator from Planet Money. Thank you so much, Stacey. Oh, you're so welcome. Happy Fed Interest Rate Day. Yes, happy Fed Interest Rate Day. I wonder how would you celebrate that day? Take out a loan. I'm going to go get a mortgage for a home today. take out a loan, Sam. (laughs) It's happening. All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, no more economy talk. We're going to have a lot of fun playing my favorite game, Who Said That? Yes. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We will be right back. (laughs) 
Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. To restore your faith in humanity, get the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Uninterrupted conversations between real people about the things that matter most. This season, we're hearing from LGBTQ voices and what life was like before Stonewall. From lesser-known victories to conversations across generations, listen to all 12 episodes now. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here this week with two guests, Karen Grigsby-Bates, NPR correspondent covering race, ethnicity and culture for our Code Switch team. And Eric Deggins, resident NPR TV critic. First full-time NPR TV critic, yes. right? Yes. Look at mm-hmm. you. So Thank fun you. fact Your about charm, Eric, Eric. Deggins. <laughs> A lot of your homework for your job is just watching a bunch of TV. And I saw you in action at at one point this week. And when you're watching the TV things on your computer screen, you have this really awesome chair lean back. (laughs) It's hard to describe. Eric is just my gangster lean. (laughs) He's also intently focused on the screen. So, you know, if there's a fire or something, (laughs) we're going to have to like grab you because you're just like focused on whatever it is you're looking at. I will say none of the. Uh, questions this week are well I can't actually one of them is about TV oh I'll, okay. I'll say that so what, what's the name of this game again who said that who said that who said that what is you singing who said that what is that song you were singing Wait, I, re- I repurposed that? the uh, the SNL uh, oh uh, what's up with what's that? up with that what's up with that what's up with that oh so who said I like that, that. So the game is very simple. I share some quotes from the week. You have to tell me who said that or the story that I'm talking about. Just get close. Uh, Three quotes. Winner gets nothing but bragging rights. All right, ready for the first quote? Yes. Here it is. Quote, each person who takes the money option will wind up only getting a small amount of money. Nowhere near the 125 they could have gotten. It's about the Equifax breach. Yes. Yes. This is I'm the really most annoyed because I'm not going to get oh, any yeah. money. This is the most <laughs> hilarious story. Oh my so God. You, it, back in 2017, uh, the credit monitoring service Equifax had a big data breach that um, potentially touched millions of people, like over 100 million people. And as a deal with the FTC to resolve this, um, Equifax said, we're going to pay out $125 to anyone who was a victim of this data breach. Go to this website, give us the last six of your social, and we'll tell you if you were affected. If you were affected, you can get a $125 check or monitoring of your credit for 10 years. Turns out in the first few days of this deal existing, so many people went to that website and signed up for that check. Uh, The FTC and Equifax had to say later on, actually, 
too many of y'all are asking for money. <laughs> we cannot guarantee you that 125. I hope that doesn't happen to Social Security. <laughs> Karen, you're really bringing it down this week. I, I just, I think about that all the time. But turns out now, if everyone that was damaged by this data breach tries to file for that money, they would each get like maybe 31 cents a person. Oh they didn't think about, Equifax didn't think about this. I, I think we know now like why this breach happened in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ready for the next quote? Quote, I was a little dishonest about something. Since it's out there, and I did say there was something that Peter and I did twice, oh, it was yeah. actually four times. The Bachelorette? Yes. <laughs> that was Hannah B., Hannah Brown. Uh, she was the Bachelorette. This week saw the two-night finale, and one of the big storylines of the entire season was whether or not Hannah B. should be shamed for having sex or not with some of these contestants. She sent one guy home just because he asked her if she was getting busy. And she sent him home. Well, and he was like, no, none of your business. I don't watch this show, but I, I heard do. about oh, this. good on you. And <laughs> life is too short. I'm old. I'm going to, you know, stack up my hours for something I care about. Hey, Sam, everything on this show is nonsense. Shh. We have to have a disclaimer the from the TV critic. Stop bursting my bubble, at the Eric. Table. This is it's all, all a charade, nonsense. I know, but it's good TV. <laughs> you people are such it's downers. I know. Anyway, I know. you both are tied. <laughs> this is the last question, the last quote for all the marbles. Ready? Finger poised on a buzzer. <laughs> Here's the quote Each character is a hero to someone watching, and we never forget that. Hmm. This is a hard one. It is regarding a very long-standing popular movie franchise. Oh, the Marvel superhero, the Dell superhero. Fast, Fast and Furious. Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw. Fast and Furious. Fast, Fast and Furious. Oh, that's actually part of Fast and Furious? I a really good hint. So, okay, huh. this week, uh, friend of the show, Eric Schwartzel, who covers the film industry for the Wall Street Journal, he had a piece out all about how behind the scenes action heroes like Vin Diesel and Jason <laughs> Statham and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they negotiate their fight scenes. Yeah. And they choreograph them in a way uh, that in they which don't their get characters hurt. aren't no. beat up too much. Uh, yes. They, they don't, don't take want their people, too many punches. They, yeah. Yeah. They don't want to look as if they're not strong. Yeah. So The Rock... Before every fight scene he's taping, he's negotiating how many hits his character gets and whether or not his character wins. He's the star of the movie. Of yeah. course he's going to win. But like, what's crazy yeah. is this story spooked the studio so much. That quote that I read you, it was from a Universal Studios spokesperson to the Wall Street Journal. Wow. <laughs> Basically saying, yeah, this happens, but it's Everybody's fine. Everybody's a hero. Everybody's, Everybody's a hero. special. I'm not gonna have anybody on my show trash talking me too much. By the way, you could you could wear a better shirt. You really could. It says in PR. <laughs> <laughs> trash talk. Now I'm gone. I can, I can take away your win, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, family, uh, we're gonna have to roll out of here. That concludes who said that, Eric. You're the winner. Who uh, said that? <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every Friday, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them. All week, we encourage folks to brag. They always do. Anjali, hit the tape. Hi, Sam and everyone. Um, this is Anna in Philadelphia. And uh, the best part of my week has been sitting here in my kitchen eating this glorious tomato sandwich um, made with a tomato from my garden. It's finally tomato season here in this area, and the tomatoes are just 
so, so good. And um, it's the best part of my week so far. So thanks, guys, for everything. You're the best. Hi, Sam. This is DeLorean from Aberdeen, North Carolina. And the best part of my week was having my retirement after 20 years of service in the United States Air Force. I can't wait to see my next adventure. The best thing that happened to me this week was playing a song I wrote at my very first open mic. The best part of my week was crossing the finish line at a 5K in San Francisco this past weekend. The best thing that happened to me this week was dropping my son off to orchestra camp and then picking him up and realizing he has found his people. Hi Sam, this is Fred. The best part of my week is that I just returned to Helena, Montana after riding my bike with the registered annual great bike ride across Iowa. Considering two years ago, I was on the verge of obesity and starting to become crippled by rheumatoid arthritis, my bicycle has changed my life. Hi Sam, this is Amanda calling from Grand Junction, Colorado. The best thing that happened to me this week started out with one of the worst things that's happened to me in a while. I was driving back to the University of Idaho where I go to grad school when my car broke down in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, and through the kindness of strangers, I was rescued and returned to Tree Mountain, Utah. I had a nice place to sleep, and my boyfriend came and rescued me the next day, and we're probably going to get a new car, because the tourists can't make it anymore. Just a shout out to the folks of Northern Utah that were so kind to me and my fantastic partner. Thanks, Sam. Keep doing what you do. Hope you're having a great week. Bye. Well, that was sweet. Yeah. Thanks again to those listeners. Anna, DeLorean, great name, Paige, Caroline, Paula, Fred, and Amanda. Uh, Thanks to all of you who share your best things with us every week. We listen to all of them, even if we can't play all of them. Keep them coming. They're so inspiring. Also, send dog photos. you up, Dark Horse. We're playing Dark Horse because this week a jury determined that this song sounds too much like a Christian rap song. And Katy Perry has to pay some Christian rapper Flame about $3 million. Sorry, Katy. She'd have been better having him as her opening act, I think. That <laughs> <laughs> yes. would have been yes. cheaper. Yes. Thanks again to my guest, who would never plagiarize a song, Eric Deggins, NPR TV critic, and Karen Grigsby-Bates, NPR correspondent, on our Code Switch team covering race, ethnicity, and culture. So glad y'all both were here. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hokeman and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Till next time, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. It's a good song. If you say so. I like it. <laughs> <laughs>